Hello and welcome to another episode of Seeking First. I'm your host, Shayna Harvey. And today I'm excited because we have our first guest host today or conversation partner. And it just so happens to be my husband, Frederick Harvey. Hello. There he is. Um, so what I wanted to do that I didn't do in the first episode was take some time to introduce um, myself and him to you. But we're going to do it in a way that we typically do it uh, when we're counseling couples uh, in premarital counseling, which is to have him introduce me and me introduce him. So I intentionally left that out of the first episode just so we um, could have an opportunity to do this. And it's also kind of weird to talk about yourself. So let somebody else do it, particularly the person you married. So um, I'm going to introduce him and then he can go ahead and introduce me. So ladies and gentlemen, please um, take some time to welcome Frederick Harvey II. Um, he is in fact the Reverend Frederick Harvey II. He is um, pastor of Spirit and Truth Fellowship uh, here in Philadelphia. Um, he is from Milton, Delaware. Uh, Woohoo! 302. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Don't hate. I'm not hating. Um, it's such a small state, but we love them too. And I've come to love them as well. But from Milton, Delaware, um, he came up to Philly to go to school, actually at Drexel University. And he is now uh, at what well, was at a couple years ago, as of a couple years ago, he spent 16 years in human research, actually 20 years in human resources, including now, uh, less several. He's been working as a consultant um, in human resources and now is full time in ministry as a pastor. Um, he loves to, what are your hobbies? You're like. I don't know. I don't really have many. Um, I like to cook, but not often. That's true. Um, he actually is a really good cook, but you can't necessarily count on him to do it frequently. So, And he doesn't use recipes. It's all kind of wait and see. So it makes for a wonderful surprise when he cooks a meal. Um, but uh, it usually wins over uh, many people, including my father, who absolutely loves his chicken and talked about it for years before we even dated. So um, thanks for the chicken. You're welcome. Um, yeah. So he uh, is here today and has agreed to talk about the kingdom of God with us and specifically Jesus the King in this episode. And I wanted him for this episode because he is my resident expert on all things uh, royal, or as he would say, governance. So we'll get into that a little bit later. But ladies and gentlemen, Frederick Harvey II. Uh, we are so corny. Um, so <laughs> this is uh, my wife, uh, Shana Lynn Harvey. Um, she is a financial planner, certified financial planner, and she's got like mm -hmm. a lot of other credentials and things and letters that come after her name. Probably like a miniature sentence. Um, <laughs> she is from uh, Philadelphia, uh, born and raised on the playground. Uh, you can't say it. no. I was going to try. No. Uh, so she's <laughs> from the northwest uh, section of the city. Okay, thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> um, 
And uh, she went to Temple and then to Eastern and Palmer. Uh, Like I said, lots of... uh, (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) So if you were watching this, she just whispered in high school. Well, clearly she went to high school. But what you should know is that she is part of a quasi... I can't use the word because this is being recorded. But... Mm. It's a little cult-esque what high schools do here in Philly. Um, And so she went to Central, and they don't reference years of graduation. They reference graduating class numbers. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so that's a thing. Mine Uh, is. Yeah. You're going to have to say it. I'm not going to say it. 255 Uh, represent. (laughs) I just can't participate Um, like literally at our honeymoon, our room number was two five five. She started screaming when we get to the door. I didn't know what was wrong. It's because her graduating class is on the door. What yes, is that about? Because what better suite to have than your graduating <sighs> class number? Because I kept looking at it and counting the numbers, and it was just real fun to have your honeymoon yeah. be like, oh, there's I'm in suite two fifty five. Okay, How about that. Look what uh, you married into. I know. I know. There's a support group for spouses that have married into the <laughs> Um Shana is um, also an ordained minister um, and uh, an author of Money on Purpose, which we are really proud of. Um, and yeah, if you don't have a copy, grab a copy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on Amazon. Yeah. And uh, Judson Press's website. Yes. Uh, those two places. And on our website, www.getinsighttts.com. Okay. She said that with a neck wobble. You couldn't see that, but that actually (laughs) happened. Um, And yeah, interesting fact, she was my financial planner before we were dating. So Mm. yeah, when you can marry your financial planner, it works out. Yeah, it does. So thank you for coming and thank you for listening. Again, we're going to get into Uh, Jesus, the King, um, and with our resident expert on all things governance. So nerd on all things governance, not really an expert, but a nerd. All right. Well, self-proclaimed nerd. He said it, not me, um, on governance. So let's go ahead and get into the episode. So, okay, this week we want to talk about uh, and actually start our series called The Kingdom. And uh, this is going to be the first of several, you know, we're talking about seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added uh, unto us. Um, But first we need to know what the kingdom actually is. What are uh, the principles of the kingdom? What should we be looking for? What is it that we're actually seeking after um, according to, to scripture? And this week we're going to be in John chapter 18, if you want to grab your Bible and and read along with us. Um, This scripture is actually dealing with, uh, I think, I guess appropriately so, we're recording this during Holy Week. um, And we are going to be looking at Jesus's arrest and uh, his march towards the cross. Um, But before that, he... Uh, is being presented to a couple of people. First, uh, after his arrest, he was presented to um, the high priest um, who then sent him to Pilate. And Pilate was a, was he a governor? 
of uh, Israel or Jerusalem at the time. Uh, they were under Roman rule, so he was the one in charge um, of of Jerusalem at the time. And so the Jewish leaders took Jesus to um, Pilate, and we're going to look at uh, what he says um, when he's brought to Pilate. So again, turn with me to John chapter 18, beginning at verse 28. Uh, and we're going to go down to verse 37. I'll read here from the uh, English Standard Version again. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death that he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to pre prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Um, this is the word of the Lord. Okay, so what do you make of this scripture, husband? Uh, there are so many layers to it. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of whenever Jesus seems to jack somebody up. So my brain kind of defaults uh, to that first. Um, and I grew up on... King James, so I remember the King James, uh, thou sayest. Uh, <laughs> are you a king, thou sayest? Uh, like, that's like one of the bossiest things to say to somebody that could actually, um, well, sort of could kill you. Um, we know <laughs> that without uh, Jesus allowing it, it wouldn't have happened. But um, mm -hmm. on all earthly and temporal levels, uh, he had the power to do so. And so um, to respond with thou sayest um, is always what comes to mind uh, from this. But I think that Jesus is um, making it very clear, uh, this issue of domain. Um, hmm. When he says that uh, if my kingdom um, were of this world, my servants would fight. Um, and so he's making a really clear distinction about um, domain um, and dominion. Um, which I think is critical. Um, as a matter of fact, if you don't have a good concept of domain, um, you will not ever understand a kingdom. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, in this episode, we want to focus on Jesus as king because a king, of course, has a kingdom. I don't think you can be a king if you don't have a kingdom, right? Or can you? Uh, I guess if you make it up in your head, but typically <laughs> uh, you should have a place that you rule. Yeah, so there has to be some some kind of space in which the person declaring themselves to be a king uh, is indeed ruling over something. Um, and we call Jesus our king. He's known as the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Um, he is the ultimate ruler of this kingdom uh, and the kingdom that we're asked to seek after. But what does it mean for Jesus to actually be a king? Here in in America, we I don't think have a really great understanding of what it means to be a king. Um, we elect a president. Uh, we, you know, go and cast our vote. Um, but kings, at least in scripture, weren't elected by the people. Um, they were seen to be appointed by God and anointed by God for that position. Um, but what would you say the major differences are between a king and a president? Everything. <laughs> Everything. So, Shana mentioned that I'm a nerd about these things. I, I love to know how systems work, um, specifically systems of governance and how people move and function. Um, and so, I mean, there might be some similarities, but the general premise of um, democracy versus um, a monarchy are completely different. Um, so in a democracy, um, at least in theory, the power rests with the people at, as a whole, at large. In a monarchy, the power rests with the monarch or the king or queen or empress or um, emperor, like whatever the title is. If it is a individual that is ruling, um, all power belongs to that person in their realm or in their domain, uh, which is where we get kingdom from. It is the king's um, domain. King's domain. Right. Got it. Um, and so just like um, if you think about domain as property, um, originally these terms were attached to land uh, and to property. So where did you have rule? Where did you have power? Where did you have uh, dominion or domain? Um if you think about your house, like people are quick, you know, it's a common phrase to say, uh, you know, you're king of your castle. Oh, yeah. uh, well, that's where you have dominion, sort of. <laughs> um, if you're married, you know. Shared dominion. Yes. Um, <laughs> but um, just keep expanding that thought. Um, so technically, wherever uh, there is a kingdom uh, and there is a king, in its purest sense, all of the land belongs to the king. In, in that particular space. In its purest sense. Okay. So, um, so there like are, there's no individual property ownership in that? Sense. In its purest sense. So oh. it, of course, has morphed. And so you have other uh, feudal lords like dukes and um, earls and other titles where they owned a large amount of property. Um but in its truest sense, um, I keep saying that because they got their property rights from the person that had the 
original dominion, um, the king or uh, queen. And in a monarchy, that person can reverse your rights to your property. Mm. So it is always understood that, um, yeah, the king uh, or queen has a uh, right to reassign, to um, seize, to take back um, anything in that because they have the uh, ultimate authority. It's also a term of absolute power. Uh, okay. Well, that made, made me think of uh, eminent domain and where the government can take back land if they need to use it for you know, some governmental purpose. So while we don't have a, a pure monarchy, um, there are elements of it, I guess, that still spill over into a democracy. Yeah, it just gets more extreme um, in a monarchy. So we're in uh, uh, the U.S. or um, any place of uh, democracy, the concept of eminent domain is supposed to be on behalf of the people's best interests. Uh, In the case of uh, a monarchy, it is what is what is the king's will. So it's essentially back to the seat of power. Yeah. So if it's in the people's best interest in a democracy, because power rests with the people, uh, that is in theory why they're taking back this land. And that's people collective because it's not in the best interest of the person. Right. Who's getting getting right. their land repossessed. Who gets the boot. <laughs> but in a monarchy, since the power rests with the king or in the palace, um, it's in the best interest of the king for you not to have his land anymore. So you don't. Right. Hmm. Interesting. So that then gets back to um, when Jesus is saying that he has a kingdom that's not of this world. Um, As he's being arrested here, he is declaring that he does have a kingdom. Uh, Which I think is interesting because he says, you say that I'm a king. Mm -hmm. Um, Or thou sayest. Thou sayest. (laughs) Thou sayest. Um, But he he didn't directly answer, I guess. Which is another part of his bossness. Like, (laughs) I I will do what I want, when I want, and how I want. So he answers in true Jesus style um, (laughs) and offers up a whole nother um, thing for us to try to conceptualize. Yeah, because it's interesting that part of his accusation of why he is even being brought um, before Pilate was because they were saying that he declared himself to be a king. Right. And they figured that if they bring him to Pilate, Pilate worked on behalf of Caesar. And there was to be no king but Caesar, which is what um, the Pharisees said when uh, they brought Jesus to him. We have no king but Caesar. Um, but that is part of the the accusation that he is trying to overthrow, I guess, Caesar's authority. But then Jesus says, yeah, my kingdom's not even of this world. Because if it was, if it was, then my servants would, they would fight, basically, to make sure that I don't get handed over. Um, so the domain of Jesus um, was something that was beyond this world, mm-hmm. something spiritual. Um, 
Now, I know that there's a lot of people who um, try to make the kingdom here exclusively. Um, but how does that how does that chive with, with or jive with this scripture? Jesus is saying, my kingdom is not of this world. Um, then does he rule here? Oh, I guess since nobody else is sitting here, you're asking. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I I want to put a, a footnote to this that um, if you ask me two years from now, my answer will probably be modified, I hope, and I would have matured <laughs> some. I believe that he does uh, rule and that he does reign. Um, I believe that we're also... Um, experiencing what uh, scripture says is all things being put under his feet. Uh, when the father says uh, to sit um, and I will make your enemy your footstool. Um, I believe that we're in the process of that, um, but that all things are not yet submitted to his rule and reign. Um, but clearly, as you mentioned, he is uh, mentioning a domain that um, is above this one, uh, that my kingdom is not of this world. Which is really mind blowing um, because even with the situation that Jesus finds himself in, and even when he was talking to Peter earlier, he is still uh, respectful of the governmental systems that are in place on earth. Hmm. Um, when he told Peter um, to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, hmm. um, you know, which is a clear, you know, financial <laughs> shout out to, you know, pay your taxes. Um, <laughs> On, hey, it's tax day. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Pay uh, your taxes. Um, <laughs> but um, even here, like he is saying that I, my servants wouldn't fight on this level. Um, mm -hmm. If my kingdom were of this realm, uh, of this, this world, um, then they would fight. Um, mm. But they're not they're not going to do that. He also is setting that expectation that that's not what's going to happen here. Because um, mm -hmm. though I'm a king, I am not a king in a way that you can perceive, Pilate. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that, you hearing you say it like that makes it um, kind of make me think of the, the nonviolence um, that Christians are, or called to of people, the nonviolent movements and protests and things that people have um, engaged in and use, you know, scripture and Jesus as their um, foundation for that. Um, that there, even when Jesus was arrested in the garden and Peter took out his sword and cut off the ear of the soldier and he said, you know, what did he say? Oh, yeah. Those who live by the sword or die by the sword. Um, that there is a fight uh, that can take place, but we also have to be aware of where that fight should take place. Um, that there is a spiritual battle to be fought. That there is something that belongs to Jesus and is worth fighting for, but it might not be the things that we think they are. Um, he said, if my kingdom was of this world and my servants would fight to prevent my arrest. Um, but it's not, so they don't. Um, so that makes me just wonder how many times people engage in battles that are 
um, in theory, in the name of Jesus, but they're fighting for things that are of this world. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not actually, that's not where you should be fighting. Like, let's put our attention on the things that we should be fighting for, the things that do belong to him that are a part of the kingdom and that we should um, should fight for. Yeah, I'm thinking about um, what it means to um, have a dominion in this world. Um, and specifically, what is Jesus's primary um, territory? What was he actually after? Um, and that was men and women's hearts, right? Mm-hmm. That the kingdom might actually be the way that we live, that we might live by the rule and reign of Jesus from a heart level. Um, and I just, uh, I, I don't know, I am gripped by, then that's where the fight is. Um, the fight is at the heart level. The fight is at the soul level. Um, mm-hmm. It is not over these temporal things, which will also be under subjection to Christ um, at some point. But right now, his primary focus was the domain of the heart um, that we might find ourselves willingly uh, submitted to his power um, in our heart and in our mind. Uh, Like when he said that uh, you can't look and say, there's the kingdom over there, or here's the kingdom uh, over here that it's not that kind of uh, kingdom. Um, and quiet as it's kept, that's what Satan is after. Satan is after the heart too. Right. He really could give a li- li- lily livered something or other. Lily livered? L- yeah, well, you know. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm trying not to say bad words. Uh, <laughs> he could give a dog on um, about stuff. Stuff is just used to contaminate the heart mm-hmm. um, and to tempt the heart. And so... Uh, knowing that that's the property, that is the uh, space um, that is really um, up for a, um, that's where the real fight is at, um, Mm -hmm. at the level of of the heart, Uh, which is why Pilate couldn't, there's nothing he could touch about uh, where Jesus is actually king at. Right, that's true, because if you have rule over someone's heart, um, then that's a much harder battle to try to fight externally. Um, and why it it gave the disciples such bossness when they had to face persecution. It's like, oh, you don't rule me. Right. Like, no matter what you do, I still belong to this kingdom that's beyond you. So you think you're fighting me or you're doing harm to me. And in this Place. Yes, that's true. But you ha- you can't get to something that I have. Well, this is where it gets really, really nutty. And so, you know, we'll have to buckle our seatbelts. But this is the, the power of being a believer in Jesus. When death itself gets swallowed up in victory, there is literally nothing in this realm that can contain the believer. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely nothing that has power over us. Um, and so that—that that is why Jesus could 
you know, I'm serious. If I don't lay my uh, life down, <laughs> you can't do anything about it. Like he's already right. speaking at a level that is beyond the domain of any other uh, Roman authority or any other uh, earthly authority. And then that's transferred to the disciples. Right. Where they know that, no, I saw him raised from the dead. Seeing that, I now know that there is absolutely nothing, you know, reminding us of Paul, uh, neither life nor death, uh, principalities or powers. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. And because he lives, I'm sounding like a real preacher. Uh, <laughs> because he lives, I will live. Well, um, I will. Uh, I will. That was my bad. Uh, I be raised um, with him. Um, that is our real power. And here's a beautiful thing about kingship and dominion and domain. Whether the monarch likes it or not, I believe it was Solomon that uh, was judged by the poorest in his kingdom. Mm. The least of these. This is part of uh, this is an issue about God and his glory, where the least of these must always be cared for because mm-hmm. anyone under the domain of God has to be able to show his glory. It has to it has to be a glorious um, representation of who the king actually is, mm-hmm. no matter where you find yourself um, in this kingdom or in his domain. Um, you represent him. And so he has a stake in it. He has his name on it uh, for the sake of his um, own, yeah, glory and goodness. And so we then get this inheritance of eternal life, uh, of salvation. And then God blows it completely out of the water by making us family. Yeah. This is the only kingdom ever in all of anything where the king adopts the subjects as his oh, own. Wow. <laughs> this is true. We are actually adopted by the king. Co-heirs with Jesus and sons and daughters of God the Most High. Mm-hmm. That is mind-blowing. And if I could just put a little plug in, that's a reason for all of us to get to know more about the kingdom, more about what this means, because how sad is it to be given such a wonderful thing and you don't even know what it is? Yeah. And I think that's actually a great segue into um, how this connects to money. So, yeah, how does this connect to money? And this is uh, you brought up a couple of different points that made me think about it, because so many people live their life believing that in order to reflect the glory of this king, Jesus, you have to adorn yourself with material things where the king's glory is not properly shown unless you have a lot of money. The king's glory is not properly shown unless you uh, have never tasted or experienced poverty. Uh, The king's glory is not shown with, you know, you having holes in your shoes or not being able to drive a Bentley or or have a lot of money. So this is what we're quite often up against when it comes to talking about money and faith. It's this 
uh, idea of if Jesus Christ is who rules us, then what is it that that looks like? And how does that affect our money and how we should engage money? Um, should believers all seek after the things that earthly kings possess? Is that something that um, we have to set our minds towards? What do you think about those type of situations? Um, I mean, I, it's a it's a convicting topic for me um, because to truly acknowledge that he is um, our Lord, my Lord, um, and Lord is just, of course, another term for a, a sovereign, which I didn't even get into the concept of sovereignty. sovereignty. Yes. Um, so since <laughs> I uh, live with the host um, and Mary, maybe she'll let me come back and talk about it uh, at some point. <laughs> Make it a part two. But uh, this issue and uh, um, absolute power, and if I am choosing to submit to him, then that means that um, by his grace, um, because I can't do it on my own, um, would I bring all the aspects of my life under submission. Um, and money, as Shana and I talk um, a lot about uh, this topic, it is one of those uh, places of exposure. It shows you where your heart is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how, how is your money telling on you? Um, where is it going? What are you doing to get it? Um, what sacrifices are you making to be able to have as much of it as you possibly can? Um, how all those things play out um, are really uh, just kind of telling on us um, mm-hmm. with that. And I know that, you know, it's popular now, you know, folks to say that they're advancing the kingdom and that means that they're giving to some nonprofit that has thrown, you know, kingdom something uh, on their logo or something like that. But um, remember that the kingdom is a heart issue. Um, And so the kingdom of God is always going to be expressed through choices that the spirit of God would initiate at and in the heart. Um, and so how does that play out in money? Yeah. And, and I think that that is critical to understand where the dominion of the king uh, takes place. Our King Jesus, his dominion is in the hearts of, of humans. Um, and that then manifests itself in various ways throughout uh, our lives. But if he's not, you could give a lot of money away. You can do things with money that, um, quote unquote, advance the kingdom. But if he's not ruling your heart, that's right. It's it means nothing. And to him. to him, it might get you a lot of praise. It might get you a lot of accolade on this earth, but it is not actually reflecting the dominion of Jesus. Just because you have a lot of money or give a lot of money or are seeking after a lot of money. Um, He wants your heart. He wants the place where nobody can touch you. Um, And back to this point of you not being able to point to the kingdom. So you won't be able to look at people um, and just say, yeah, there's the kingdom because this person drives a nice car. There's the kingdom because this person has a nice house. There's the kingdom because um, they haven't suffered uh, anything great in their lives. Uh, so they've been protected. 
that's not necessarily where the king, the kingdom actually, when you get squeezed is when I think the kingdom manifests itself. Um, or I say the extremes too, when you're successful or you're broke, when you do well, what is ruling you at that point? Is it the accolade? Is it the praise? Is it the money? Is it the glory? Um, or when you have nothing, um, what are you tempted to do in those moments? So I, I think that in either of those extremes, sometimes what's truly ruling your heart is revealed. Who is your king? Um, and that in our money can often show up. And this is where I want to, um, you know, as listeners out there, for us to just take some time to reflect on who is king in your life? Who or what is king? Who is ruling? If we're called to seek after the kingdom, the domain of our king, um, who is ruling in your heart? And how do we even see the rule of Jesus around us? And can I add, insert something? Yeah. Um, I One way to think about this is um, who's getting pleased? Um, so one of the concepts um, in uh, royalty or monarchy or um, these systems that have absolute power is the pleasure of the sovereign. Um, so mm -hmm. whatever it is, is it something that will please the person in charge? Mm -hmm. um, and so, for example, in the UK, technically, every government officer serves at the pleasure of the queen. Um, by the will of the queen at her pleasure. We even do this, though, in the U.S. Oh, yeah, the pleasure of the president. Right. Um, and so that means when this person is no longer pleased, <laughs> your service needs to stop. <laughs> that happened a lot lately. <laughs> That's a different podcast. Um, but, yeah, to think about it from that perspective, who's getting pleased by how you spend your money? Mm. Um yeah, who, who benefits from it and who is the recipient um, of the pleasure mm. of your spent dollars? Yeah, that's, a, I would say, a very convicting question um, to ask, but one that we probably should ask um, because money is the place where um, I think at, at the heart level, we are always in battle and God is always fighting for space um, between how much we seek after money, how much we um, worry about money, how much we're anxious about money, all of that. Uh, we are always in that battle. And that that is where we should be fighting for the seat of um, Jesus to rule in our hearts when it comes to our finances. So may that uh, be the place where uh, we do some of the fighting, uh, fight at the heart level, not to surrender to money, not to seek after the pleasure of money and how uh, it can give us power or uh, authority or glory in some way. But at the heart level, can we really um, say that we are surrendered fully and completely to our Lord? And fortunately, we have the Holy Spirit to help us do that because the answer to that is no, we're probably not going to do that. Not on our own. Uh, we need the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead um, to help us to fight that battle. So we just need to tap into 
the power of God to help us and give us discernment as to when we are serving at the pleasure of money um, and not serving at the pleasure of our King, uh, Jesus Christ. Um, so with that, um, thank you, husband. You're welcome. I'm so stoked that this is happening. <laughs> My wife has been talking about this for uh, years. Uh, probably a good two years. No, it's been a little bit longer. And um, so um, oh, yeah. to God be the glory. <laughs> for finally uh, helping me to get this started. But isn't that like him? Yes. Quite yes often. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank God uh, for another opportunity to serve at his pleasure. And uh, I do pray for all of you out there that you um, would seek to serve at the pleasure of our King Jesus um, and to be blessed in how you engage your own financial life. So see you next time.